shout out lately to those watching online. So can we just give it up for those watching online right now and tell them that we love you guys and praying for you guys. We look forward to the day that everyone's back in this place. But, you know, it's nice to have that online church option. If you're on vacation, you can, you can still connect with us. We have several uh, folks who are homebound, and that's their way of uh, staying connected to Journey. So we love you guys who are watching online. We are in a series called Unshakable. And God's desire for you and I as followers of Jesus is that in a world that is shaking us constantly, doesn't that feel like that? Doesn't it feel like we are constantly being shaken that we would be people who would stand firm upon the foundation of the word of God and Jesus Christ and him crucified, risen, ascended, and exalted. And so we've been looking at 1 Thessalonians, and so I want to invite you to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians. Um, and as you're turning in your Bible, maybe you have a paper Bible or you have it as an app on your phone, as you're turning to 1 Thessalonians, this is a passage that we've been looking at over the last couple of weeks. It was a letter written in A.D. 51 by the Apostle Paul to a group of Jesus followers that he knew very well. These are people that got saved through his ministry and through his obedience and and so he's writing to them to encourage them and we get to be the recipients of that encouragement today as well so first Thessalonians chapter 4 is everybody there if you're not I, I promise you just keep turning there I know I'm gonna start reading but but uh, just stay there and throughout this morning uh, this is where we'll be parked for the most part we'll jump around to a few other passages but we will come back to first Thessalonians 4 um, at the end as well so first Thessalonians chapter 4 beginning with verse 1 it says finally dear brothers and sisters we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God and I just want to pause right here because this goes against every bent, every proclivity that is inside of us. Because of sin, our bent, our personality, this DNA that races through us is that I want to live in a way that pleases me. Yep. Amen. Hi, my name is Ken, and I'm selfish, and I'm lazy, and I'm greedy, and I want life to revolve around me. I get mad at other vehicles when they don't move according to the way that I need them to move, right? I, I want to live in a way that pleases me. And Paul, right out of the gates and, and giving this final challenge to the church in Thessalonica, he says, hey, listen, this, this is from the Lord Jesus Christ. We urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that doesn't please yourself, but that pleases God. Now, some of us, we hear this and we go, oh, man, like, see, that's the problem with Christianity, right? Like, I want a Christianity where I can just live the way that I want to live. But here's the thing. If you will live in a way that truly pleases God, you will be blessed for it. Amen. In fact, I would submit to you that if this whole room of people, if we waved a magic wand and from this point forward, we all began living in a way that truly pleased God, can I tell you, I think your marriages would be stronger for it. I think parents in this room, you would find that, that there's a, a, a greater smoothness, a greater ability to raise your children if you were living this way. Students, I think you would be better students if you lived this way. What if, if we lived in a way that pleased God, we would actually be the beneficiaries. There would be blessing upon us. He says, I urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God as we have taught you. You live this way already. And we encourage you to do so even more, which I love. He's just saying, hey, you're getting this, but come on, there's more room to grow. For you remember what we taught you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. And then here's this phrase, God's will is for you 
To be what? God's will is for you to be what? This is God's will. God's purpose for you and I is that we would be holy. So we talked a little bit about this last week. What does holy mean? Holy basically means this, to be set apart, to be separate. That God's will is not that you would be average or ordinary. He wants you to be set apart for himself. And here's the great thing. God himself is holy. God is wanting something of you that brings you into greater alignment with him because he originally created us in his image and we've distorted that, right? There were brokenness and and dysfunction and we've distorted that and God says, hey, I want you to be like me. I am holy. My will for you, this is God speaking, my will for you is that you would be holy. God himself is holy. I mean, throughout the scripture. In fact, in the Old Testament, the descriptions of God, if you put all the attributes of God together, holiness is mentioned of God more than any other attribute put together. That's who he is. That in the throne room of God right now, in in heaven, there's seraphim around the throne of God saying, holy, holy, holy. This, This is who God is. And he wants us to be holy. Now, the pushback to this is that there is an enemy of your soul, the devil, Satan, who, yes, I do believe is real. Jesus believed he was real. Scripture teaches about his realness. And listen, Satan, he he hates God. He hates God, but he, we don't believe in dualism. We don't believe that God and Satan are, you know, essentially the same strength and the same power, and God's up there biting his, you know, his nails, wondering if he's going to be able to defeat Satan. Like, Satan's already defeated. Satan's a nothing, right? So he, he doesn't have any power to really stand up against God. So what does he try to do to hurt the heart of God? He goes after God's children. And Satan knows that God's desire, his will, is that you and I would be holy. So Satan comes at us and tries to say, he tries to distort what holiness means. We, we talked about last week that many of us, our idea of holiness is boring and restrictive, Right? And what we tried to show last week, that actually the very opposite is true. That it is sin that is actually restrictive. It's sin that is restrictive. We gave you this, we gave you this picture, and, and we had Lee come up here in his ugly Detroit Lions shirt. And, and uh, you're wearing a different ugly Detroit Lions shirt today. How many of those do you have? We need to bless him later on with some, no. Listen, he can take it. My wife is over here yelling at me, but he can take it, all right? He can take it. He knows I love him. So we had Lee come up here, and we talked about sin, that sin is, in the beginning, sin is attractive. There is a lure to sin. There is an attractive bait to sin, or we wouldn't want to have anything to do with it, right? And so, we, man, that looks attractive. Oh, that, my, my cravings and the natural bent and desire inside of me, like, I want some of that. And, and so we begin to partake in sin, and we start making small little compromises. We, we start maybe hiding the truth a little bit. We start deleting some things from our phone. We start doing things, and we start making excuses. Well, everybody does that. I'm not that bad. You should see, you know, in comparison to Steve Drown, I mean, come on, like, I think I'm doing pretty good here. And so we start making these comparisons, and before long, what we find is that it's not holiness that is restrictive that it is sin that is restrictive that there's these weights now that are starting to weigh us down and before long we're we're isolating we're, we're isolating ourselves from other people we're isolating ourselves from God that actually it is not holiness that is restrictive it is sin that is restrictive and then pastor Aaron came up and and then he prayed over you guys and we said God bless you and 
goodbye. And some of you are wondering, well, how do I get out of that? How do I move from the restrictiveness of sin to the freedom of holiness? Like, thanks a lot, DeChant. Glad I came to service. Glad I heard how restrictive sin is. Like, how do, how do I get from the restrictiveness of sin to the freedom of holiness? And that's what we want to talk about this morning. And, th- and this could sound trite because we're going to give you three ways to be holy. And you're like, well, that sounds biblical. <laughs> but I'm telling you, there's, there's probably so many other ways. But I'm telling you, these three things that we're going to talk about this morning can be so powerful and life-giving and helping us to move from the restrictiveness of sin to the freedom of holiness. And so here they are. Let's just get right into it. Number one, a, embrace a new identity, the identity that I am holy. Like, if we're going to move from the restrictiveness of sin to the freedom of holiness, we have to understand that our identity in Christ is that we are holy. Not someday I hope to be holy. I am currently, present tense, I am holy. Did you know that that's true of you? Now, Now, just so we know, just for the record, I am right now communicating to followers of Jesus. If you came this morning, someone invited you, or you've been kicking the tires and trying to figure out what you believe about God and the Bible and Jesus, listen, I am so glad that you are here, and I love you, and God isn't mad at you. God longs for you to be a part of his family, and he's gone to great lengths for you to be part of his family, and just keep coming, because one of these days, a light bulb's going to come on, and one of these days, you're going to get who God is and the love that he has for you, but for right now, this message that I'm speaking is to followers of Jesus, that how did you become a follower of Jesus? What did you do to become a follower of Jesus? Honestly, you didn't do anything other than realize what he had done for you. Christianity isn't like religion. Religion is spelled D-O, do. Religion is do. You got to do this, and you got to do that, and you got to go to Mecca, and you got to fast, and you got to do this thing, and you got to do that thing, the sevenfold path of Buddhism. You got you to do. Christianity is spelled done, D-O-N-E. That Christ has done it. And so how did we become followers of Jesus? We became followers of Jesus by realizing my way isn't working. We became followers of Jesus by recognizing I am sin-stained and sin-covered. I am broken. I am helpless. I'm powerless. I can't do this. Do you remember that? Do you remember that realization? I remember I'm 16 years old and I'm in this cinder block dorm room in Washington, D.C., about two blocks from the Capitol building, and, and it was a crazy weekend, and I found myself all alone in this dorm room, and I remember just having an encounter with God where I just finally said, God, I can't do this. I've been trying to please you through my behavior. I've been trying to please you through white-knuckling it and through my actions and my, all this, and God, I can't do this. I can't. And I remember the realization, Jesus, you died on the cross for me. I've learned this my whole life. I've heard this. I've heard it sung. I've seen productions about it. But it became real to me that Jesus had died for me. And I humbled myself and I said, I can't. But Jesus, I believe that you are the son of God, that you were crucified to take upon yourself the curse of my sin and the punishment of my sin. All of that was put on you so that I can have a relationship with God. I believe that on the third day, you were resurrected from the grave, proving that you have all authority and all power, that whatever is going on in my life is nothing compared to your power. Jesus, forgive me. Would you be the master and leader of my life? 
That's, that's, that's what, in a, in a nutshell, that's what, that's what it is to become a follower of Jesus. In fact, if you're not a follower of Jesus right now, you don't even have to wait for the part of the service of us inviting you. You can right now, during the next few minutes, just under your breath, just say, Jesus, all of that. I'm broken. I'm sinful. I believe you're the son of God, that you died on the cross for me. Would you forgive me? Would you be my master and leader? You, you, you can be anywhere and pray that prayer. You don't even have to be in a church to pray that prayer. Maybe you're watching online right now or listening online. Right now, you're driving somewhere. You're running on a treadmill or you're doing your laundry. You can, at this moment, commit your life to Christ. And here's what happens when you become a follower of Jesus. You've been around Journey. You've heard me say this so many times, but, but I, I want you to get this. When you become a follower of Jesus, think about it. He adopts you into his family. You're no longer on the outside looking in. You're no longer a slave. You are now a son, a daughter, an heir of the Most High God. Isn't that amazing? Not only that, but Scripture says that when we receive the grace of God, that we become, and there's this great big theological word, justification, that we become justified in the eyes of God. It's a legal term. It means just as if you never sinned. That God sees you not through the lens of sin. He sees you through the lens of the blood of Jesus Christ. And he sees you positionally as if you have never sinned. In fact, he now sees you as holy. That Dan Rogers is no longer who he used to be. Dan Rogers is now holy unto God. He's justified. Ephesians 1 says that before the creation of the world, God's intent, his desire for us is that we would be holy and blameless in his sight. And so in love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ. Isn't that incredible? So you say, Ken, what, what are you trying to say? I'm saying, listen, on this road to holiness, to move from the restrictedness of sin to the freedom of holiness, it starts by understanding I am holy. Here's, here's another way of saying it. God has already done the heavy lifting. So for a lot of us, when we think about holiness, I know when I was growing up, and this wasn't because of, because of a pastor or because of my parents or anything, I just somehow, this was just the way I saw holiness. I saw holiness as, I, that was horrible, right? I just woke somebody up and they're like, what in the world? Other people are awake and they're going, I don't even know either. So, like, here, here, we think of holiness as I have to and I must and white knuckling and I've got to try harder. And here's the thing God has already done the heavy lifting. I am holy, it is my identity. Now, here's the thing the enemy of your soul wants to say, No, you're not. No, no you're not. Chuck Shouter, you're not holy. Yeah, yeah, I am. Because I'm in Christ, and I've received his grace, and he's adopted me into his family, and legally before God, I am holy. Well, I don't feel very holy. doesn't matter. I am holy. Well, God sees what you did two weeks ago. I, God sees what you did last night. I am holy. It starts with an identity shift, right? Like if we're going to move from the restrictiveness of sin, we've got to understand that we have a new identity and we need to embrace that identity that I'm holy. Number two, we need to walk in the spirit that I am empowered. Listen, when, when we received the grace of God, we were adopted into God's family. But not only that, we received the Holy Spirit of God. I'm going to say that again. 
Not only do we receive the grace of God and get adopted into the, into the family of God, but we receive the Spirit of God. See, one of these days, I, I, I wrestled with this point this week because I literally, I'm, I'm talking out loud to God. Some of you might think that that's very weird, but that's what we do, right? I'm going, God, I, I feel like I preach this same point like every three sermons. And I, you're going to laugh at this. You're going to think I'm trying to be funny. I'm not. I felt like God say, one of these days, they're going to get it. One of these days, somebody in this room is going to finally get that the Holy Spirit of God, who is just as much God as God the Father and God the Son, is actually residing inside of you, and it's going to change everything for you. That the Holy Spirit resides in me. He lives in me. The Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, that he is at work inside of me. What? One of these days, we're gonna, we're not, it's not just going to be a theological truth. It's going to be a deeply held belief and game on when that happens. See, if I'm going to move from the restrictiveness of sin to the freedom of holiness, I've got to understand the Holy Spirit lives in me and dwells in me. Galatians 4 verse 6 says, because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son. His son is Jesus, right? Who is the spirit of his son? The Holy Spirit. Thank you, Carrie Deshant. So let me say, Galatians 4, 6, because you are sons and daughters, okay, because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son. His son is Jesus. The spirit of his son is the Holy Spirit. He sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but you are a son. And since you are a son, God has also made you an heir. Uh, you don't need a, it's not about me, it's about God's word. We're applauding God's word. That if I'm going to move into the freedom of holiness, I've got to understand, the Holy Spirit of God is inside of me. He's empowering me. Now, how does this work practically? It means just, okay, by realizing this, what I mean practically is tomorrow morning when you wake up, that you wake up and you go, good morning, Holy Spirit. You say, that, that sounds weird. I'm t- it will change things for you. Good morning, Holy Spirit. I welcome you, Holy Spirit. I do this. I'm driving. I only have like a six-minute drive to church. And on my drive, I'm just saying, good morning, Holy Spirit. I welcome you, Holy Spirit. Lead me today. Give me eyes to see. Give me ears to hear. Have, help me to have a heart that is pliable to you. Help me to obey your promptings because I don't always do that. I don't always do it right. I'm saying, Holy Spirit, I repent for any ways that I've grieved you, any ways that I've hindered you. Holy Spirit, I want to be led by you. I'm telling you, you do that, and he will start prompting you. He'll start nudging you to do things, to not do things, to talk to this person, to not talk to this person, to say something, to shut my mouth, to go to this place, to not go to this place. You know, he will guide you and direct you. If I'm going to move from the restrictiveness of sin to the freedom of holiness, man, I've got to realize my identity is that I am holy. I've got to realize that I am empowered by the Holy Spirit and walk in the Spirit. I remember my kids, I have to use this analogy so many times, but my kids would come and put their feet on my feet, and it would be this fun thing. We'd walk across the kitchen, and they'd be holding on. And Man, I get that imagery of keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. Walk with the Holy Spirit. Number three, consume holiness. I am what I eat. 
Consume holiness. I am what I eat. Here's the thing, like holiness, again, we, we all think, if you've grown up in the church, maybe you don't have this faulty thinking, but we all think of holiness as behavior. Holiness is what I do. Holiness is my actions. But holiness doesn't start with my behavior and my actions. Holiness starts with my affections and my thinking. And do you know what impacts your affections and your thinking? What you feed on. I, I, used to, I used to pray all the time, God, help me to be hungry for you. God, I want to be hungry for you. I used to, in the 90s, I would sing, change my heart, oh God, make it ever true. And one day, I, was, I just felt like God was saying, you know what, you are waiting for me to like magically zap you when you need to change your appetites. Because here's what I found to be true. This is a truth in the natural world, and it's a truth in the spiritual world, that I hunger on what I feed on. I hunger on what I feed on. Would you say that with me? I hunger on what I feed on. You're saying I'm not understanding. Listen, I love McDonald's. I'm the epitome when someone in some big corporate office in Chicago said, how about I'm loving it? And I'm like the epitome of that. I'm loving it. I, I know there's haters. I heard it after the first service. I know there's McDonald's snobs, people who like to talk down on McDonald's, but they're selling billions of hamburgers every day to somebody. Right? I'm loving it. I love me some McDonald's. And I love McDonald's not even just at lunchtime or at dinner time or I guess even at breakfast now. I love McDonald's. I'll, be, I'll have an appointment with someone on the other side of Fremont in the afternoon. I've already eaten lunch, mind you. I'll, and I'll see that McDonald's on West State Street and I'll just do a little drive-in. It's only going to take me a minute. And I'll get myself, my, this is my snack, a sweet tea. Of course, I've become sophisticated now, so I do a half and half. That's a hack for some of you. You can say half and half, and they know what that means, half unsweetened, half sweet. And so I get my, I get my sweet tea, and I get my cheeseburger, and if I've, got a, if I've got a coupon on my app, because I have the McDonald's app on my phone, because that's how much I'm loving it, I'll have some large fries as well, and, and, I, and that's my snack, right? Here's what I found to be true. If I go to McDonald's one day, I'm a hundred times more likely to go to McDonald's the next day. Uh, that's me, okay, you can look down, you're going, you know, I used to think of you more highly, Ken, you're going down a few notches, this, this is true, if I eat McDonald's today, I am way more likely to eat McDonald's tomorrow, last year I had a time where I realized that I'm not proud of this, and again, I'll go down a few notches in your estimation, I had eaten at McDonald's, I'm estimating like 11 out of 14 days in a row, My documentary will be coming out soon to Netflix, okay? So, all right? Here, here's, here's the truth. I hunger for what I feed on. I hunger for what I feed on. If I eat McDonald's, I'm more likely to eat McDonald's tomorrow. I'm more likely to eat McDonald's or some kind of junk food the next day. Now, from time to time, if you look up yo-yo diet in Google, you'll see my face. From time to time, I decide, all right, going to be healthy, right? And can I tell you, the, the first couple of days is like, ha, ah, it's hard. The longer that I go, I have gone, I'm pretty proud of myself, I have actually gone a whole month without eating McDonald's. Thank you, right? You say, how did you do it, Ken? First couple of days were hard. 
But the converse is true that the longer that I don't go to McDonald's, the easier it is to not go to McDonald's because I hunger for what I feed on. When I start eating healthy, I hate it for the first week or two weeks. <laughs> but there comes a time where I go, you know what, I'm actually enjoying this healthy food and why would I eat that stuff? Right? Why? Because I hunger for what I feed on, right? Here's the deal with holiness. We focus on the actions and the behavior when really holiness is about my affections and my thinking, and my affections and my thinking are tied to what I'm feeding on. Now, I'm not talking about McDonald's anymore. I'm not talking about a physical realm. I'm talking about in a spiritual realm. What are you feeding on? Proverbs says it this way. Chapter 27, verse 7, Proverbs says, A person who is full refuses honey. I know there's more to it, but I just want to stop right there. Have you ever had so much to eat? I mean, I mean, you've had so much to eat. You've done one of those things when nobody's looking that you've loosened like your belt a little bit because you're like, oh my goodness. And then somebody comes in the room with like some other great thing to eat and you're like, I just can't. Look at that. Look at that again. A person who is full refuses honey. One of the reasons why so many of us are not hungry for the things of God is because we're full of the things of this world. Because I hunger for what I feed on. I hunger for what I feed on. What are you feeding on? I think it's one of the greatest challenges to holiness in the church. The challenge of holiness is we all week long, we are feeding on, I'm loving it, the junk food of this world. I'll take another Netflix series to binge on. <laughs> I'll watch another 20 hours straight of sports. I'll, and by the way, I'm not judging anybody. Because, hi, my name is Ken and I've been there. But I hunger for what I feed on. So here's a question I just want to simply ask you. What are you consuming that is keeping you from hungering for God? What are you consuming that is keeping you from hungering for God. By the way, these don't even have to be bad things. Like the, uh, an obvious answer would be like porn, okay? Well, that's pretty obvious. Yeah, I would say that that, that, that would be true if that's true of you. But I, I, I want us to even allow the Holy Spirit to challenge us, uh, us with some things that, that are normal and accepted. What are you consuming that is keeping you from hungering for God? Like, I realized for me this summer, one of the things was emails. Like, I, I had an app on my phone where I got emails, like, constantly, like, all the time. I'd be hanging out with my family or doing things, and this would be distinctly, like, a family time. And here I am, like, checking emails. And I had to realize, man, this is keeping me from the things of God. I had to delete that app from my phone so that I can only look at the emails on my laptop and have restricted times where I look at my emails. It, Email, if I don't look at my emails for a couple weeks, I'm going to get fired, y'all. But it doesn't have to be an every five minute thing. What are you consuming that is keeping you from the things of God, that are keeping you from hungering for the things of God? Do you have an answer? I want you to really think about what is it? Identify it. Don't just have some broad category. I'm asking the Holy Spirit. I've been praying this week that the Holy Spirit would just give you an answer to that. How many of you, I'm not going to ask anybody to share theirs at all, but how many of you would say, I've got one in my mind right now? 
This is your home. If you don't have one, this is your homework. It's just throughout this week or maybe the rest of this day, just occasionally, just say, Holy Spirit, would you, would you shine your searchlight in my heart? Would you show me what I'm consuming that is keeping me from hungering for you? And then here's a question, like, can you give that up? Like, what, what would it look like? Or maybe, maybe you can't, get, in my case, I can't give up email. But I can find ways to restrict it. I can get it off my phone. I can, I can do some hacks to, to help lessen the severity of that in my life. What, what can you do to mitigate that? So that you can have more of a hunger for the things of God. So you're not so full of junk that when the honey comes, that you're like, oh, I don't want any honey. What do you need to do? How are you going to do it? When are you going to do it? Who do you need? Maybe you need to talk to somebody to hold you accountable to do it. Who are you going to talk to? Maybe for you it's an issue of like, I know that I should read the word of God. I just don't know how. Pastors always tell me you need to read the word of God. I, I don't even know where to start. I started reading the word of God and then I got into, is it called Leviticus? I got lost. We're starting in October. We're starting a new round of the Grow class. It's, it's, now we got it four Thursday nights in October. If you come out, we'll, we'll talk about different issues each Thursday night. First Thursday night is going to be how to read the Bible. Second Thursday night is going to be how to pray. Third Thursday night is going to be how to discover God's purpose for your life. The fourth is going to be who is the Holy Spirit. How do I be filled with the Holy Spirit? Just simple, real simple, basic classes. I'm, I'm, I'm leading these classes in October. And if you're, if you're going, man, I, I need to learn. There's, there's all kinds of helps that we can direct you to. You don't have to wait until October. If you email me, we've got some videos and stuff that I can send your way that would help you. Listen, I hunger for what I feed on. God longs for you to transition from the restrictiveness of sin to the freedom of holiness. Holiness isn't a bad thing. It's not a boring thing. It's not a restrictive thing. That's a lie of the enemy. God is holy. You will be most fulfilled and fruitful. You will flourish like never before when you begin to walk in holiness. But there is a disclaimer. I have found, and scripture bears this out, that pursuing holiness without love is dangerous. In the New Testament, especially in the Gospels, who, what group of people were the most holy people in the Gospels? Who? The Pharisees. Maybe you're not familiar with the Bible. The Pharisees were the religious elite. These were the guys who were educated. They knew the, they knew the Old Testament almost all by heart. And when it came to holiness, man, they followed all the rules. They checked all the boxes. But Jesus said that they were making it harder for others to enter the kingdom of God. We can pursue holiness, but if we do so without love, it can actually be dangerous. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 says, you can give all of your possessions to the poor, but if you don't have love, it's actually worse than nothing. So our motivation when it comes to holiness, because maybe you've heard holiness talked about and you've heard it by people that you go, man, they don't seem very nice. We have to hold holiness and love together. Why? Because God is holy, but God is also 
love. He is also just. We'll talk about that another time. He is holy. He is love. God is calling us to holiness, but we've got to make sure we do it with love. Look, this is 1 Thessalonians. This is our passage that we've been looking at. I want to read to you a verse from 1 Thessalonians 3, and then just two verses from 1 Thessalonians 4, and then we'll start closing things down. 1 Thessalonians 3, may the Lord make your love for one another and for all people grow and overflow just as our love for you overflows. This is, this is Paul's desire for these brand new followers of Jesus. Man, may the Lord cause your love to overflow. And then in the, right after the passage we were looking at earlier in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9, Paul says, we don't need to write to you about the importance of loving each other. For God himself has taught you to love one another. Indeed, you already show your love for all the believers throughout Macedonia. How are they doing that? Through their financial gifts. They were literally supporting the persecuted church. He says, even so, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you to love them even more. As we move toward holiness, and church, I think this is straight from God, what God's desire for us. In fact, his word says it clearly, that his will for us is to be holy. Church, as we move toward holiness, we got to make sure that we're moving toward holiness and we're also moving toward love. God's will is for you to be holy. It's my identity. I am holy. You are holy if you're a follower of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is in you. You're already empowered. We need to make sure that we're feeding our soul, not with the junk food of this world, but that we're feeding our soul with the things of God. Let's move toward holiness. It's God's will, right? Would you stand to your feet? Maybe you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus. We had two people in the first service who gave their lives to Jesus in our first service. Maybe you're here and you say, Ken, I, I've been religious. I've known all about Jesus dying on the cross. I've gone to church. I've done good things. I'm a good person. But this morning I recognize that I can't do this on my own. I recognize that, that I still haven't addressed the sin issue in my life. This morning I want to personally Ask Jesus to come into my life, to be the master and leader of my life. I'm I want to ask him to forgive me of my sins. I'm going to ask you all over this room to close your eyes and bow your heads. And This is between you and God. Next week we're having water baptisms where you can publicly confess what Jesus has done inside of you. And we're going to celebrate that. I can't wait. We already have several people who, who have signed up. And if you need to sign up, you let us know this week. But this really is a personal, private time between you and God. And if you're here and you'd say, Ken, I need Jesus in my life. I need him to forgive me of my sins. I need him to be the master and leader of my life. I need him to sit in the throne of my life. We just right now just raise your hand so I can pray for you? Anybody else? I'm, I'm looking, yeah. I see you. I see you. Yeah, I see you. After you've raised your hands, you can lower them. Anybody else? Look around the room. Anybody else? Guys, that's awesome. It's the greatest thing that could happen this morning. If you raise your hand, in fact, I'm going to have this whole room. Would you join me in praying this prayer? But before we pray this prayer, it's not this formula of prayer. You pray this word for word, just like Pastor Ken told you to pray this. It's meaning these words in our heart. But I want to give you, I want to give you a prompt because some of you are like, I don't know how to pray this. So let me, let me help you. Let's all pray this together. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins, 
Forgive me. Empower me to live for you. I believe Jesus was resurrected from the dead, proving his power. So lead me. Show me how to follow you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.